I never got a please, a thank you, a nicety, nothing. I got mm. nothing decent or nice or kind from this woman. So that's the reason why when I look back at whatever communications we had prior to, I deleted everything because I don't think any of it's true. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show is Jen, who lives in the often sweltering heat of Phoenix, Arizona. She told me she had a very nice childhood with her parents and never really wanted to search for her birth parents until her friends started having kids. But the ultimate spark that ignited her desire to search came from a family tragedy. In the aftermath, Jen located her birth mother and they connected over social media, but Jen could never get her mother on the phone and that gave her a bad feeling. When they finally met face to face, their reunion was short-lived. While she's thankful for the few answers she did get about her past, Jen wishes she had not been deceived and has a warning for other adoptees seeking reunion. For Jen, everything was normal growing up. Her parents read her a special book every night, The Chosen Baby, about a couple who elected to adopt an infant and raise the child as their own. Jen still has that book to this day. She never thought about her adoption growing up, even as a young adult. Then her peers started having kids. Of course, the children looked like their parents, and Jen began to wonder whom she looked like. It wasn't quite enough of a spark to launch a search, but then something tragic happened. What changed for me and what made me search for biological family was my mom was killed in a car accident um, October 2012. Mm. So... That was, number one, a shock. And number two, a lot of things changed after that. Like I said, it never seemed to be an issue of me being adopted. It never was part of my day. It was never part of my thought. But after my mom was killed, my dad and the remaining family, because we don't have a big family, I guess you could say they sort of turned on me. I got written out of the will. Uh, things were totally changed. I mean, I was, it was so incredibly hurtful and incredibly blindsided that, I, I mean, I just, then I started wondering, like, has my whole life been a lie? Wow. Um, it was a pretty big wow moment, yeah. Did you experience any animosity, any contentiousness? Was there any? So first, maybe let's just go back for a second. Do you have siblings, you said? No, they only adopted me. Did you feel any of that from your father no. growing up? No, no, absolutely no. That's why I was so blindsided. So my mom was killed October 2012. Things already were in play and changing like kind of almost within the first six months. It was pretty immediate. What kinds of things did you detect were that were already in play that were starting to get worse? I have two cousins that live in Chicago and they, my mom had a brother who was also deceased and I was really close to my uncle. Those two boys belong to my uncle who's deceased. My mom is deceased. Those two boys live in Chicago. And I mean, I hate to stereotype, but they are very wealthy. 
So I guess apparently if you're a multimillionaire, I guess you feel you could control the world. Well, they stepped in and it's like they sort of took over my dad. But at the end of the day, my dad is responsible for letting go of the wheel and let those boys take control. Around that time, her father had hip replacement surgery and he was in the hospital. Jen went to his bedside daily, and it was at that time she found out he had agreed to change his wife's will, eliminating Jen, their only heir, and creating a trust that diverted her inheritance. But more importantly, the process drove a wedge between her and her father that was deeply hurtful. Unfortunately, Jen's not the only adoptee to be treated that way. You know, that's a pretty big pill to swallow. So number one, my mother was killed in a car accident, Mm -hmm. you know, and now my father has turned on me. And I still talk to him. I still am me. I'm still responsible for my side of the fence and how I behave towards others. So I still treat him normally, even though he's been now completely horrible to me. Exclusively related to the will, or has he done other things? Well, you know, I don't know, because now I just, I don't even really talk to him much about anything. So when he is in town, which is here in Arizona, because now he spends most of his time in Chicago where the boys live. So when he is in town... I just still treat him normally. We don't talk about anything major. But at the end of the day, the reality of it is, you know, he changed a lot of things. And I am an only child. And then, I mean, it that's such a hard blow to take that I did share a snippet of how hurt I was on one of the adoption sites. I don't know if it was a, I am adopted, but I sort of shared like how blindsided and how hurt I was. And come to find out, my story is not unique. So I just posted just because I was so, I can't believe this happened. And then it turns out quite a few people posted. I had like over 90 something replies to that. And I had a bunch of people private message me. So my story was not unique. God, that's incredibly sad. I mean. It is incredibly sad, incredibly hurtful. So that really, that was my final moment that I'm like, you know what? I've got nothing to lose at this point. My mom's not here anymore, so I'm not going to hurt her feelings that I'm going to search for a biological family. Yeah. My father apparently has moved on. So I have nobody's feelings to hurt. I have nothing to lose. My father has basically turned his back on me, even though I still talk to him. And when he's in town, we still try to see each other once a week. Because like I said, I only could be responsible for my behavior. So yeah. even though he's done a horrible thing, I'm not going to be a participant in that. So That's fascinating. Whatever. I'm sure people have asked you before, how do you... You know, how do you go high when someone goes low like that to use, you know, sort of recent vernacular for this type of situation? I mean, I've always told I've always thought of things like if if you show me how you feel about me, then I understand. And I'm you know, I'm not going to continue to like walk around and be mad, but I'm also not going to give you much attention either. And I could see how you could find yourself cutting him off and being like not, you know, in a hateful way, but just. You've basically shown your true colors, and um, I cut off those cousins. I cut off those cousins a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So those cousins have been cut off. I have not cut off my father because yeah. just because he's behaving badly, I mean he's still my dad. Jen said part of her sadness is knowing that her mother's final wishes weren't honored, and that she would be crushed to know her own husband had treated their daughter this way. But all of that mistreatment was Jen's turning point in deciding to search. She realized she had nothing to lose and no one's feelings left to hurt if she located her birth parents. So she joined a few Facebook groups like I Am Adopted, another one with some search angels as active contributors, and a few others. 
Initial advice was Jen should get a copy of her original birth certificate. Luckily, she was born in Illinois, a state where access to her own documents is allowed. That gave Jen her birth mother's full name, but her birth father's name was omitted, a common occurrence years ago. Her search angels investigated her mother's full name, a very common Jewish last name, but she didn't get any leads. She tried Ancestry DNA, but there were no close connections there either. Everyone was coming up empty. Then one of the search angels suggested a new tack. And then she said, you were adopted out of Illinois, right? And I said, yeah. She's like, well, you petition the court and you get a CI appointed to you, which is a court investigator. It's like, I think it's like a third party company that once the court grants a CI to you and the petition, you have to show like how you searched. Um, So you just can't naturally go to that step first. So I did that. I got a CI appointed to me. And then that CI has the ability to access your sealed file. The court appointed CI has access to get to that file. I don't think these laws apply to all states, though. No, no. That's interesting. So what did she tell you? mm -mm. So she says, okay, so she's like, I got the file, I have her name, I have her social security number, and apparently they have like some sort of system or whatever that they're able to run that social security number. She goes, what happens next is that we send out like it's like a standardized letter saying that you are searching for her, and if she wants to make contact, um, she can make contact. So it's like a general letter and sent out to the last known address. The CI tells Jen they make a total of three attempts at contacting her birth mother at her last known address. If she doesn't respond after three attempts, the CI will close the file. There's nothing more she can do. But if her mother never contacted the CI, Jen's file was still closed to her. Jen couldn't access the information herself because it was still all confidential. So if we get no response, that's just, it's the end. And I'm like, okay, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, if it's the end, it's the end. I tried. You know, I jumped through with every hoop I could do and I tried and she goes, or she can contact me and she's like, and then she's like, I will talk to her and then I'll let you know that she's made contact. And then if you both agree to talk to each other, we each had to sign a release, get it back to her. And then at that point, she was able to exchange information. So Uh, that's how they work the process in Illinois. Got it. And so she sends out the first letter. Did she get a hit? Yes. Wow. She did. Awesome. She immediately got a hit. But now, in retrospect, because of everything that went down, I honestly now don't even believe anything that that woman had told me, the biological mother. Her name is Jackie. So I got a hit. um, I get a call from the CI. She said, yep, I... You know, I just got off the phone with, um, because then she was able to tell me the first name. And, you know, she goes, I just got off the phone with Jackie. And Jackie is like, in tears. She can't believe that you found her. Blah, 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 blah. Then Jen and Jackie followed the process of signing releases to allow the CI to give each of them the other's contact information. Of course, what does anyone do these days when they get someone's info? Now that I had the information, then I was kind of super sleuthing her a little bit. I found her profile on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I already was checking her out. And then I started looking through her friends because she didn't have her Facebook locked down because I naturally super sleuth. That's just who I am. Then I started like saying like, oh, she had a daughter and then that daughter had some kids. So I already like got the like lowdown on her. So Jen sent her introductory letter. She explained that she had a great life in adoption, that she wasn't intending to intrude on Jackie's family and expressed her curiosity about wanting to connect with her in the hopes that she had not been a secret. Jen tried to make sure the letter conveyed that she wasn't trying to fill any holes in her life. She was satisfying her curiosities. And, and see if I look like anybody. So did she right. write back to your email? 
She did. And actually, she got my email on her 70th birthday. Whoa, that's amazing. Let me tell you, the story sounds wonderful and good all the way through it up until we meet. What happens next? So we're emailing, we're texting, we're Facebooking. Mm -hmm. She did give me the name of the biological father because that was omitted on my birth certificate. And for some reason, his his information in my sealed file did not exist. So because I still had a court-appointed investigator, I was able to give that name to her and she could search for that person. So oh. she was able to search for the biological father. And that was actually, I mean, now looking back, that's the only good thing that Jackie did provide me. So my CI did investigate that. It turns out he was deceased. She was able to find out that he had two children, a son and a daughter. And for some reason, she was able to find contact information on the son, but not the daughter. So she goes, do you want me to reach out to the son, which mm. would be my half-brother? Right. And I said, yeah, sure. I got nothing to lose. The CI made contact with Jen's brother who didn't know that Jen existed. He took the letter he just received to his mother and basically asked, what's up with this? David's mother admitted there probably was a sister out there for David. The CI's outreach ultimately connecting Jennifer with her half-brother. But the connection with her half-sister isn't quite there yet. Oh yeah, you probably do. That probably is your sister. You know, dad, he was with someone before me and she did get pregnant and he wasn't really sure what happened to the baby. Hmm. He goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's real. That's probably your sister. And he goes, why didn't you tell me? And and his mom didn't have an answer why she never told him that he might have a sibling out there in the world. So he told me that it took him about a week for him to like process like, Oh my God, I've got a sister out there in the world. And that's a hard thing too. I would imagine like, People often say, why didn't you tell me this? And I, I try to think about the other person's perspective and try to, try to understand, like, at what point would have been a good time to say, hey, listen, I got something I need to tell you. Like, a, a random sibling out in the world doesn't just come up. Right. I can appreciate that he wanted to know, but I can also appreciate why perhaps it never seemed like the right time to say something like that. Right. It's not like you're just sitting around having dinner. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, dad knocked up some girl before we got married. I mean, it just never comes up. Yeah. Yeah. So for him, it was completely blindsiding. Hmm. Um, His father's not there to be like, dad, you know, I got a sister, you know, because he's gone. So he did get over that initial shock. Mm -hmm. Uh, We exchanged information and. You know, he we were talking on the phone. He was like texting me. We're all friends on Facebook. Now, his sister wants nothing to do with me. And I'm totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. So but she looks at me on Facebook because she'll say stuff to her brother. Be like, boy, she really does look like dad. She really does look like dad. Mm -hmm. And then David will say to her, he's like, well, you know, that's dad's daughter. Like (laughs) he was a participant in making that. So Jen has been emailing and texting with her birth mother, Jackie. But Jackie wouldn't take Jen's phone calls. And I did find it to be completely suspicious. But her mother said she couldn't talk to Jen by phone because she would be an emotional wreck and cry and cry. That's my biggest warning to anybody. Shame on me for falling for that because it was a lie. And if I would have talked to her on the phone prior, I would, it would have never escalated for me even meeting her. Interesting. What do you because think you would have picked can't, up? You can't, you can't hide who you are when you're on the phone. I mean, maybe really, really good liars can, but I think the more you talk to somebody on the phone, I think the more you kind of get a gist of who they are. Yes. Unless they're so deceptive that they can really fool you even on the phone. But I think she knew that she couldn't fool me on the phone, and that's why she continued what I like to say. She catfished me. 
Wow. So, so, so tell me a little bit about what it was like on email with you first. How were things? Email was like, it seemed fine. But anytime, like she would ask about me and I would answer and I would ask questions back. And sometimes I wouldn't get an answer. Mm-hmm. And I, oh, I, I thought that was kind of like a red flag. And I'm like, I don't know, she, because it was very, it was hard to really get a read on her because she'd be like, oh, I'm so open. You can ask me anything. But when I would ask her certain things, she wouldn't answer them. Mm. So that kind of was a little bit of a red flag. Right. But, you know, everybody communicates differently. Yeah. Were so they hard I questions? Really? No. They were just like, you know, general kind of questions, getting to know you kind of stuff. I get you. Okay. Not, I wasn't even digging about anything with my past. Like mm-hmm. with her past, you're sort of vetting a person, right? right? You want to make sure they're not crazy yes. and that they're a decent person and that you actually might get along. Yeah, I understand. Yes. Social media connected Jen to her birth family members, and she could see who she looked like, what kinds of activities they were into, and a slice of how life was going for them. Still, her birth mother absolutely would not take a phone call. But then Jackie began pushing for Jen to make a trip out to see her in California. Jen told me she doesn't really have people in her life that bring a lot of crazy drama, so it didn't even cross her mind that someone could be out to deceive her. Jen gives a warning about first steps before going to meet a family member, based on her own experience. And I waited about like two months before I even posted what happened to me, because I felt it was like kind of my duty to warn people that if anyone's at the next step, to actually meet a family member especially if you're the one that's spending all the money to go meet that family member, you know, my best advice is you better talk to them on the phone for a good amount of time. Yeah. Because I think it's really hard for someone to really mask who they are unless they're just a crazy person. So six months of messaging passed with no phone calls between them. I asked Jen what made her finally decide to capitulate and go visit her mother. Once again, She felt like taking a chance because she basically gets along with everyone. So she booked a flight to Sacramento, California, and rented a car for the long drive to her birth mother's home in Modesto. But before Jen left Phoenix, she got a weird text that sent up another red flag. I guess my inner deadhead, uh, you know, when I was at ASU, I did have some time that I started following the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia band. So it's like I always have that, you know, most people are kind, you know, let's just all have a good time. So it's like I always kind of have that personality about me. Like even as a kid growing up, my mom and dad and my family members, my friends are like, God, I can't take you anywhere. You talk to everybody. Like even to this day, like I could be out anywhere. And if, if you leave me unattended, I'll start talking to everybody else around me. I don't know what it is about me. <laughs> so you were feeling like, you know, yeah, everybody's, you know, kind of nice. This yeah. person's probably nice too. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I just kind of figured like, well, you know, I got really nothing to lose. You know, how bad, how bad, famous last words, how bad could it actually be? The day before I flew out, I get a text from her, Jackie, saying, what kind of rental car are you getting? And that should have been my warning that I was going to walk into a shit show. Because that's a weird question to ask. So I write, I text her back. I go, that's a weird question. Why do you care what kind of car I got? And she goes, just curious. And uh, she's like, well, I was hoping maybe you'd rent a van that seats seven. And I wrote back and I go, I've never driven a van and I'm not going to start now. Jen hoped to escape the blistering heat of Phoenix on the trip. But there was a heat wave in Northern California. It was 109 degrees, and she was meeting her birth mother at the bowling alley, not at her home. Jackie said she wanted her friends to be there when she met Jen because she would be so emotional. So I pull up. I start walking toward the bowling alley. 
and her friends or her bowling partners, they come running up to me, giving me hugs. And the woman who claimed the whole time, I'm just going to cry and cry. I'm too emotional. I can't talk to you on the phone. She was like doing nothing. Straight face. So these people were more excited to see me like hugging on me and kissing on me and, you know, can't stop looking at me that it's like, I kind of had to push pie two of them to hug her. And did she hug you back? Um, yeah, and a half fast hug. I mean, I got better hugs from strangers, but yeah. Wow. So we're there for like over two hours because she wants to stay in ball and everyone else was like super friendly. So I will say out of like this crazy shit show trip, those people at the bowling alley were nothing but lovely. Happy to see me, engaged in conversation, all this stuff. Super interested, super happy I'm there. That's amazing. And- but wow, she wanted to stay and finish her bowling round? Yeah. Wow. And everyone's like, well, you know, you really should take her out. You should do this. You should do that. She'd travel all this way. And then every now and then Jackie would be like, oh, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Because her friends were so lovely that it's like I didn't mind hanging out with them. They were like lovely. But you literally so, are not making a connection with her at this moment. Not at all. She wants like kind of nothing to do with me. So Jen makes the acquaintance of Jackie's bowling partners for two hours. She's been up traveling since the crack of dawn. She's driven a long way, she's hungry, and she'd like to get her laptop out of the hot car. Jen generally wanted to settle in at her mother's home, but Jackie had other plans. They went home anyway, but the scene Jen walked into was totally unexpected. And she's like, oh, so you need to go by the house first and drop things off before we go meet Tracy. Um, Tracy is the sister, the half-sister, and I was going to meet, I call um, her daughter, my niece, and her name is Juniper. I call her Junie. Mm-hmm. And so we're supposed to meet Tracy and Junie and Turlock, which is a half hour away. So we go to her house. It's like a single wide trailer. Mm-hmm. I've never been inside a trailer, and I'm not saying that in a snotty way. It was just kind of like, oh. So we go inside, and and it's kind of packed. So we go inside. I drag my bag in, and there's like a bed in the middle of what I guess would be like a living room. And there's like a ton of stuff everywhere. It's like kind of like a hoarding kind of thing going on. So I say to her, I'm like, going, oh, how nice. You made a bed up for me out here. And she goes, what do you mean? And she goes, well, that's our bed. That's where we're sleeping. I said, uh, I'm not sleeping in that bed with you. Oh, we met and you goes, and oh. she? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. It's a full-size bed, like in the middle of this living room. And this living room was like packed with stuff. Like it's like a hoarding situation. Oh. So it's like, who expects to walk into that, right? Right. And I said, I'm not sleeping in that bed with you. And she goes, well, one of us could sleep on the floor. And I go, I'm not sleeping on the floor. So that's what I walked into. They dropped Jen's stuff and drove to Turlock to meet Tracy and Junie. Junie was 16 at the time, and she and Jen had gotten to know one another pretty well through lots of social media messaging. Jen was looking forward to hanging out with her niece over a meal, but Jackie was unable to bite her tongue to be nice to her newly found daughter. Not one to be pushed around, Jen fired back, and the situation deteriorated into a horrible dinner from there. So they walk into the restaurant. I stand up and with arms open, I go, you've been warned. I'm a hugger. I hug Tracy and I'm hugging Junie. And it's like, we're Junie and I are super happy to see each other because me, you know, we've been talking for a long time. And you connected better with her over messages than you did with your mom. Oh yeah. So we sit down, we order lunch. Tracy's sister started telling me about this play that she took the boys to, and it was about Holocaust survivors. So we're like sort of talking about that. And I go, wow, that sounds really, I go, that's, that sounds like an amazing play. I would have liked to have seen that. And out of nowhere, Jackie, the mother, says to me, I'm sitting across from her table, she goes, it's not like you're really Jewish anyway. 
Whoa. She says that to me. Right. What the heck was that? That was like a very mean comment. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's like already she's showing her colors that she's a horrible human being. I am pretty quick on my feet. So when she said that to me, I didn't hesitate. I looked at her and I go, apparently you thought you were Jewish enough when you gave me up for adoption. Oh, wow. You went through a Jewish adoption agency. You did specify that the people who adopt me are Jewish. And I go, and my last name on my birth certificate and on my adoption papers is Rosenberg. I go, so I don't care what you say. I am Jewish. I'm more Jewish than you'll ever be, Jackie. Mm, yikes. And Tracy said, Mom, I can't believe you just said that. And then she says, well, you're more Jewish than her. And I go, well, if you want to get technical, if I'm not Jewish, either is she. She went out of her way to be mean, and I just got there. So, like I said, the wheels came off the wagon pretty much right away. I can't even imagine why she wanted to spit that venom in you at you at that moment. I mean, that's... Have no idea. Wow. So how was the so rest of dinner? Comes. Because you've now reached this point where she's spitting venom and you've, you're sitting there having a dinner and there's other people there who are like, uh-oh, super uncomfortable. Like, I can't imagine this goes any better. It doesn't. So the bill comes. I look at Tracy and I didn't even look at the price of the bill. I just look at Tracy. I go, hey, you want to split that? She goes, yeah. So I throw out my credit card. Tracy throws her credit card down. And before you knew it, I swear to God, it was like a magic act. Jackie picks up the check, looks at the bill, takes Tracy's credit card, hands it back to Tracy. Tracy puts her credit card away. And before I could even stop what's going on to say, hey, hold on a second, what the hell's happening? The waitress comes by, she hands off, Jackie hands off my credit card and the, and the bill to the waitress, and it, off it goes. What? She it's made now only you like pick up in the, afternoon. the bill? Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I picked up the whole tab. I paid for it. We're getting ready to leave. I look at Junie, that's the niece, and I said, baby girl, you come with me? Let's, let's go do something fun. And she goes, yeah, I want to go. And then Tracy's like, yeah, I don't mind. You know, just have her back here like by like 10. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So we stand up. We're getting ready to leave. Jackie picks up the check that I just paid for, took a picture of it. And I go, uh, what did you just do? Why did you take a picture of the check I just paid for? She goes, well, I just want to keep track of how much money you're spending. And I go, um, I'm an adult. I don't think anyone needs to keep track of how much money I'm spending. I go, that's super weird. I go, I don't like that erase. Don't delete that picture. She goes, what? I go, I want, I want you to delete that picture, and I want you to show me you deleted it. I go, I don't know. I just took a picture of that check. I don't like it. Take it. Delete it. And when did she do it? So she deleted it. Back at the trailer park, Jen and Junie are having a great time. They decided to go for a swim. Apparently, Jackie regaled the neighbors in her community with a tale of her long-lost daughter finding her. So they introduced themselves to Jen. But just like the scene at the bowling alley, Jackie wasn't nearly as interested in Jen as the neighbors were. In a nutshell, so I'm loving spending time with Juniper. We're back at the trailer park. There's like a swimming pool at the trailer park. And June's like, hey, let's all go swimming. I'm like, okay, great. So apparently Jackie has been telling everyone that her long-lost daughter found her. So people in this neighborhood, in this trailer park community, were coming out. They were coming out to like say hi to me, to give me a hug. You know, some of them like came to the pool with us. So everyone's more excited to see me than her. Right. Like this is like apparent. It is clear. It's obvious. I'm already on the phone trying to find a flight back to Phoenix because mm-hmm. I know like this is not going to work out. We, I sucked it up last of the evening, had a great time with Junie. Junie wanted to spend the night in the trailer with us. And it turns out there were two other rooms in there, but it turns out Jackie's a full-blown hoarder. So those were like filled with stuff from floor to ceiling. Oh, I see. So literally the only room that's functional is this one room that I guess would have been a living room. 
So it turns out Juniper's mom, my sister, is batshit crazy. So the whole time we were gone, she was her mom was blown up her phone with messages. Oh, that's like I can't believe you left me. I can't believe you went off with Jen. You know, I want you back here now. But just pause for a second. Am I wrong? Did I hear you correctly that she said, sure, go with her or just have her back by yes. 10 and was totally supportive of her departure with you? Right. But while we were gone, apparently, this is another thing I found out after the fact, none of them have phone service except for Jackie. So the sister and her kids, they have phones, but they only work if you're in a Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. she couldn't. So Junie couldn't take her phone to the pool because she couldn't get any messages because it's not a Wi-Fi. Yeah. Oh, so the whole time we're away from the trailer, she had no idea her mom was blowing up her phone. Well, Junie felt horrible. She's like, all I want to do is spend time with you. I know. I can't believe my mom is doing this to me. And I said, honey, I go, I don't know what's going on with your mom. I go, I'll be honest. This is like batshit crazy to me. I go, I just feel like I'm in bizarro land. I go, I love you. And it's like, I will always still talk to you if you want to like talk to me and stay in touch with me. I go, I don't know what the hell is going on. I go, I'm doing everything I can to try to go back home. Jen had booked a flight for a long weekend, from Thursday to Tuesday. But by Thursday afternoon, the day of her arrival, Jen was ready to leave. Unfortunately, it was cost prohibitive to leave early. Jen's husband and friends back home knew that if she, of all people, was trying to leave, the situation must have been untenable. However, staying a little longer gave her a chance to meet some of her other relatives that were really great. Because I'm like this free spirit, and I thought everything was cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I booked a flight from Thursday to Tuesday. Like even as the wheels fell off the wagon, I was talking to my husband and sending him texts and sending him videos. He was out with a bunch of our friends and they're like, oh my God, they're like, Mike, it's got to be so bad if she's ready to come home. For her not to make it work, like I'm the ridiculous person that talks with everybody. Yeah. If I can't make it work, it's got to be bad. Oh yeah. In a nutshell, I ended up having to stay until Saturday because the fly home on Friday, it was $800. So I knew I had to suck it up one more day. In hindsight, do you almost wish you had paid the 300 and gone home earlier? No, because I was able to see my nephews on Friday. And then that was great. Yeah, they how were was great. that? So the niece was great. The nephews were great. Mm-hmm. Great. And I even told them, and I said, hey, I'm so glad I finally got to meet you guys in person. I go, I'm telling you right now, because like Jackie actually went to the bathroom, because I'm out taking everybody to lunch, because Jackie doesn't pay for anything. Mm-hmm. So I told the boys, I said, um, had a great time. I'm telling you right now, I'm like, I ain't never talking to grandma again. I go, but if you and I, if, if we all still want to talk, I go, I'm 100% okay with that. You guys don't have an aunt. I don't have nephews. I'm like, I'm totally good with like just getting to know each other. And they're like, yeah, no, that's great. And honestly, um, the oldest one was laughing. And he's like, boy, he goes, you're exactly how you are on Facebook. And I said, yeah, I don't sugarcoat it. Like, I am as truthful as it comes. I'm like, your grandmother is nuts. Mm-hmm. And I go, and I don't think she's very nice. I want nothing to do with her. Did they? They got it. Yeah. They got it, but that's their grandmother. You know, they were raised with her. Mm-hmm. But they totally got that I wanted nothing to do with her. I'll bet and they, they were did. still totally okay with us still talking. And I do still talk to those boys. Well, that's good. I'm sure you can feel what happened next here. Jackie and I had it out that Friday night before I left on Saturday. It was late on Friday night, and in just two days, Jen had been through a lot. She decided it was time to speak her mind, adult to adult. 
I said, you know what? I go, I don't know what is wrong with you. I go, you are a horrible person. You did nothing but deceive me and you were dishonest with me. I go, I don't know what you were trying to get from me. I go, I'm just thinking that you were, you thought I was going to come out here and bankroll you. I go, I don't even know what you, what your agenda was. I go, you are the most unfriendly, unkind person. I go, this is not the person you portray yourself to be. I go, now I get why you didn't get, get on the phone with me because you couldn't hide that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no. She goes, I'm just overwhelmed that you're here. And I said, you know what, Jackie, I'm calling bullshit on that right now. And I said, you know, and then like the thing that happened with the restaurant, and you hand Tracy her card back. I go, Tracy's a head too because she took the card. So she's just as bad as you. And then she goes, well, I thought you knew that. None of us had money. I go, why on God's green earth would I think that nobody has money? I go, everybody's adults here. And I said, you know what, Jackie? I go, when you gave me up for adoption, I go, let me tell you what, the people that adopted me, my parents never told me I had to go work. But guess what? When I was nine years old, I started working as a babysitter. I did that up until I was 16 until I got a job working at a drugstore. I go, I've always worked. My parents never told me I had to work and I was raised with money. I go, so don't look at me and tell me with a straight face that you think it's normal that nobody works. And then those lovely people I told you that I met the bowling alley, Mm -hmm. she then tells me that they gave her $300 for the women gave her money that totaled over $300. So she can show me a good time was that when I was in town. And I said, wow. And you said that with a straight face, like it's completely normal that you hustled money off these women. I go funny. I never saw you even break out. Not one single dollar that these women gave you, which are a grown woman, which is disgusting that they had to give you money and you took it. I go, so where was that money? When, when the bills came for lunch, she goes, well, I had to use that money for other things. Mm. And I go, wow. And I go, and you say that so normally and so naturally. I go, I don't know what kind of person you are, but I want nothing to do with you. Mm, mm, mm. Gosh. So then all her truth came out. Unreal. Unreal. And I have never in my life ran across a person like her in my life. In conclusion, that's how it ended. And then that morning, I packed up my stuff, took a shower, came out. I turned out I had left my iPad laying on the bed because everything is just, you know, you live on the bed because that's the only thing really in the room. Right. Um, and then she says to me, as I'm packing up, she goes, oh, it must be nice to fly first class. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? And I go, funny thing is, when you work really hard and you save your money, you can travel first class. I go, it's not for you to even be nosy what I do and don't do. And I'm like, oh, I was like so done. So I packed up the car and uh, I go, well, this is it. I'm leaving. You know, I'm like, have a good life, Jackie. So I'm walking out the door. She's like, can you drive me the bus stop? I'm like, sure. You have me driving all over the place. I'm running all your errands like Benson. I'm like, sure. I will drive you one more place. So she wanted me to drop her off at the bus stop. And I dropped her off at the bus stop. And that was that. Wow. How did you leave it? She just got out, went to the bus stop. Not even a thanks for coming or nice to meet no. you. No. I never got one nice tea from this woman. Not like, I can't believe you traveled this far. Thank you for coming. I never got a please, a thank you, a nice tea, nothing. I got mm. nothing decent or nice or kind from this woman. So that's the reason why when I look back at whatever communications we had prior to, I deleted everything because I don't think any of it's true. Has your interaction with her in any way jaded your previously very open, gregarious, engaging personality towards other people. Yeah. No, but but after that incident happened, I waited about 2 months before I shared that like heads up warning if you are about ready to meet a family member, please read this because I I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Yeah. And the only and, and I'm not saying it, it's not going to happen to anyone else, but my biggest mistake was is that I let the lie of her not talking to me on the phone 
stand. And if I didn't let that stand, I, this would have never happened. It would have come through that anything she was writing wasn't true. You said and when I did call her out on it, and I said, now I understand why you didn't talk to me on the phone, she didn't disagree. Yeah, she knew. She She's knew been she manipulating lying. people for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. She didn't disagree. You she just, knew what she was doing. You were just the next one to come along, and you happened to be biologically related to her. That's all. Listening to the drama and manipulation of Jen's story, I wondered if she shared the feelings of many other adoptees, whether she was still glad that she had been on her journey. She said she learned a lot throughout her experience, but she's unhappy that she was lied to and she wasted her money. Still, she made some good connections with her nieces and nephews, and her half-brother on her paternal side remains a source of positivity. I'm glad I did it, because you know what, at the end of the day, now I know. Like, I know she exists, I know I have a half-sister, um, I know I have uh, nieces and nephews, I know I have, I found out my biological father's name, that's something I never knew, you know, I found out I have a brother and sister from that side, so it, all of it, I, I now know, I have no mystery about any of that at all. Mm -hmm. So that's good. I'm annoyed that I wasted hard-earned money because that was money I could have used for me and my husband to get out of this horrible heat of Phoenix, and we could have had a lovely four-day weekend somewhere cold. So I'm mad that I was deceived because I could use that money for me and my husband to escape the heat. Right. And your, and your, money time, goes. And your time and your energy, right? You expended some emotional energy navigating that situation there on the ground. And that's time that you could have spent doing something else. So as of now, I do still talk to those kids. And if that continues, wonderful. And if it somehow stops, I'm no worse for the wear because I'm really, really fortunate. Like I have a good life. I am very lucky. I've got some really amazing friends that, you know, I have a good life. Mm-hmm. I'm no worse for the wear. Yeah, that's right. You are who you were before this whole situation right. unfolded, and you will continue to be that person thereafter, right? Right. right. But my yeah. biggest, biggest warning to anybody is no matter how much you talk to them, no matter how much you guys see each other on Facebook or text with each other or email or Facebook message, it's not enough. It's just not enough. Like, really, my best advice to anybody is to talk on the phone. And if they're not talking on the phone, do see that as a red flag. Well, I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised and, you know, positively focused on your, you know, paternal half brother's visit to Arizona one day. It sounds like that has a potential upside to it. And I hope that that part of your story will unfold in a much more positive manner than the than the one that did on your maternal side. Yeah. And you know what? We're just like really casual. It's like going, hey, man, next time you see your friend out in Patchy Junction, it's like we'll meet like in Tempe. And actually, when I left, when I was in California, because I was like staying in the airport on Saturday, like for like four hours before I get on my plane, it was pretty funny. So my brother was working. I'm sitting there at the airport. I go, was this visit a real shit show? And he goes, really? He goes, it was that bad? And I said, yeah. And then he sends me a selfie because he's working, and he goes, that's okay, sis. You and I look more alike than anybody else. <laughs> that's so awesome. I thought that was very sweet. He shellacked it over with some positivity. I like that. He did. He did. Well, it's something exhausting. to hang on to. It's crazy. I know. It really is exhausting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, thank you it's very so much. It's so crazy. I'm like, you can't even make that up. So thank you very much for listening and 
and hopefully people will learn from my mistake and please don't ever fall for I can't talk to you on the phone. (laughs) I'm with you 100%. Thank you so much for your time, Jenny. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Jen's story had a really heart-wrenching turn in the beginning when she tragically lost her mother, then discovered her father agreed to have her cut out from the will. That kind of deception is hard to fathom, and I was surprised to hear that so many adoptees responded affirmatively to Jen that they had been treated the same way. Then, for Jen to basically be catfished by her own birth mother, who refused to talk to her by phone, then wanted Jen to show up with a vehicle and funds? That's an astonishing set of behavior that nobody could have predicted. But Jen definitely feels like if she had had the opportunity to speak to Jackie by phone before they met, she would have certainly picked up on the clues that would have led her to be more cautious in going into their first meeting. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Jen's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting to your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash really or follow me on Twitter at really. And please, if you like the show, take a moment to rate Who Am I Really on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, or leave a comment at whoamireallypodcast.com. Those ratings and comments can help others find the show too.